Welcome to Bitpicking, a podcast about software development. I'm Greg. I'm Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Greg. There's no Laura today. She's on a world tour talking about UX. But instead, we welcome Matt Owner um, as a special guest to talk to us today. Matt is a local developer. He organizes some tech meetups and he's a serial side projector. We talk with Matt about what goes into organizing a meetup. We talk with him about the state of web development in 2020. And how does he update the firmware in his coffee mug? Let's go. Okay, welcome to Bitpicking, Matt. Hiya, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Excellent. So we thought we'd start off with your uh, meetup life. So you run a meetup in Bournemouth. Yeah. Do you want to just talk about that a bit and where it started and whatnot? Uh, yeah, so it's called uh, Tech Dorset. Um, it's actually a, a combination of uh, two other meetups, which were Mobile Dorset and Page 3 Dorset. And we just uh, come together to uh, share the load. Um, and we've also kind of broadened the scope of what we talk about. So it's just uh, yeah, development in general. We also talk a lot about um, home automation and, and other kind of techie things. And you get... A, a whole bunch of people every month come to this yeah um, is there enough interested people in Bournemouth for sure yeah um, I mean last week particularly busy uh, I think it was about 38 people so uh, yeah so the plug is it's every second Tuesday uh, every second Monday of the month Monday yeah. oh, that's why I keep missing it <laughs> <laughs> and where do you meet uh, in the uh, uh, Bournemouth Executive Centre uh, yeah. Lansdowne Bournemouth yeah Cool. So, um, so I know a bit about this. So it was Mobile Dorset and PHP Dorset joined together. Hmm. So very dev focused. Yeah. Um, and then now it's just tech. So you just generally talk about tech stuff. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> which is, is quite general. But um, that's what we were talking about anyway. Yeah. Um, there's a section we normally do, which we call Lean Coffee, which is uh, where people put suggestions up on the board of things they want to talk about. We kind of vote on, on which ones we want to uh, talk about first. And just chat about them, and it's it's always quite a you know a, a, a general things uh, <laughs> about Google tech, you know um, privacy. Well, I remember on Mobile Dorset, it was always um, should I build hybrid or native? Yes, every yeah. every month in Lean Coffee, that's what somebody would. Yeah, uh, would you put get up. you get the same things coming up, uh, you know, every couple of months or something. But it, things progress so fast in this space that, or well, quite often, there is something you need to talk about. Yeah. An interesting thing for me is uh, I was sort of looking at, at meetups and the kind of groups that have meetups. And uh, actually, Greg and I went to the Meetup Collider last month That's at right, JP, yeah, Morgan, JP Morgan, which was a, a, a mashup of uh, four meetups. Um, but there don't seem to be that many meetups for developers as such. You tend to get UX, I think the Meetup Collider was UX, it was project management, it was DevOps, uh, DevOps and it was security. And, security, yeah. uh, and it seems actually relatively rare for developers to come together and, and talk about development. I don't know whether that's a statement of like uh, a developer's general personality <laughs> that maybe they don't like to do that's this. That's funny but. you say that because I thought the opposite. Right. Because of course I was trying to get a product management meetup going. And I couldn't get any attendees. <laughs> so we've, I mean, we haven't stopped it, but we've sort of put it on hold for that. And one of my feelings was that it was mostly developers that were active. But you're right. No, it's not just like developer meetup. There's always a theme. Mm. And um, 
but it's always been development that I've seen. So it's interesting the mm, yeah. the different perception. I always yeah. find redevelop interesting the the yeah. conference that's in Bournemouth every yeah. year because there isn't often that much development. It's, like, it's always very interesting. A lot of it seems to cater more to project managers uh, or something like that. Um, but like every so often there is like uh, one of them is like you know show me the code and there's yeah. Some, yeah. there's some code on the slides which I always find interesting because it's normally about some sort of new weird browser API and, you know, playing yeah. midis or something. I'm definitely, yeah. for me, interested in more technical, yeah. you know, developer-focused uh, discussions. I know the plug for for um, uh, Golang meetup in, in Bournemouth. Um, Is that still going? That. I believe that's still yeah. going. Okay. Um, I don't know. There's, well, like you say, PHP Dorset has now become part of, part of Tech Dorset. I don't know there are others. Yeah. I'm sure there are. Um, I don't know if we could list them all. So, oh. I, 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 the, 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 oh, no, I, I didn't mean that like we shouldn't. I mean, I'm trying to think, okay. uh, like, what are they? <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it is, um, again, these are all different languages, right? PHP, um, Go, etc. And yeah. uh, you want to talk about libraries specific to, to that language. And, well, you know, as a developer, you could probably get the gist of other languages in, in uh, screenshots or whatever. If you don't intimately know it, then it's more difficult to follow along. So you end up going up a level to more softer things yeah, or yeah, things yeah. apply to everyone. And at that point, you've stepped out of the code again. Um, I think well, maybe JavaScript is the, the great Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we all have to write that. So, yeah, 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 uh, so yeah. maybe that's... I think, I think you're right because um, uh, I was involved in mobile Dorset a bit before and we struggled quite a lot to get speakers. Um, and one of the things was that you were never quite sure who the audience was, so you weren't sure how to pitch it. And so always, exactly like you said, you'd go up a level because you'd think, well, I don't want to introduce this concept unless I explain it first. And then before yeah. you know it, you're just explaining like general things. Right. Exactly. And that meant all the core attendees, like all the developers were like, well, I know, why am I talking, why am I sitting there yeah. like, through this? Um, so I think there's a real space and it's funny, you know, you've both said it straight away. There's a real opportunity for a real low level technical meetup. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, and I, I think um, I, I'm I'm thinking about uh, starting up the Dorset Kotlin meetup, right? Which for real, are, semi for real. Yeah, you should have. But cool. um, but the the reason the reason I want to do it actually, having thought about it, is because I can I can shorten Dorset Kotlin to Dork, <laughs> uh, which I think is just a good name for a, for a meetup. <laughs> so I think that's how Dork. Elon Musk starts companies. Now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got to be done. Yeah, yeah. But a space for developers to come together and. and talk about that stuff and share ideas and uh, yeah like you say a lot of it tends to be about the, the fluff surrounding it and whether it's you know agile mm. or project management you know other forms or whatever it may be mm. i want to talk about the bytes god damn it <laughs> <laughs> show me the bytes yeah 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 exactly it's always nice to like um even if you, you don't understand all of it that's going on because it can be uh you know quite cody uh you get the gist of it and then you can go home yourself and you know, crack it, something open and, and see if you can do something fun. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I did a talk the other day on, um, I bought an Ember mug, uh, which is a mug with a heating element in the bottom and it's Bluetooth. And uh, I didn't like the app that you used to control it and I wanted to be able to control it from my computer. So I um, made a PWA basically to, uh, to control it uh, using the web Bluetooth APIs. And the talk I did for that did have some code in it, but it's still like just... I think hopefully genuine, generally interesting. That's such a Matt Olmo project. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
because you, I mean, you have a list of side projects as as long as your arm. I think. Yeah. I think every time we see you, you have something new to show. What's on the What's on the burner at the moment? Uh, making a game um, uh, using Phaser for that. So it's uh, TypeScript. Um, I feel like I feel like there's going to be you're going to drop loads of new frameworks <laughs> yeah. well, it's, every it's, other sector. You have to spot which one is made up. It's kind yeah, of, yeah, which <laughs> run a competition. It's yeah. kind so of, what's Phaser? Uh, so Phaser is just a game engine, uh, okay. JavaScript one. Um, but it is kind of like a Russian dollar stuff. So um, I'm using Ionic, which is using Angular. And then Phaser is just running in Angular. And then that whole thing gets wrapped up by Cordova <laughs> into <laughs> a, an APK. So uh, yeah, um, that's been... Uh, really interesting. Making game is hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, takes a lot of time, and uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting things to to do there, like um, all of the assets and animations and uh, music and stuff. And you've done all that yourself? Uh, so I've done like half of the assets myself. I did start with with the bass, um, but I I say I wrote the music. It's just samples stuck together. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So what's your game? What, what is music? <laughs> Not just, like, samples samples stuck together. together. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's a good good question. I started by calling it uh, Eulerian because the uh, that sounds like a very Dorset Eulerian. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> um, the the basic concept is um, there's a map and uh, you have a little puck and you can uh, navigate the map, but you can only go up, down, left, or right, and you keep sliding until you hit something. Uh, and uh, the maps are procedurally generated and backed by a graph. Um, so uh, when you've got a graph, you can do all sorts of cool graph maths, like uh, Dijkstra, the fastest path, and uh, an Eulerian path is one that goes through all of the edges, edges or nodes, one or the other, um, just once. So it's a path all the way around in one loop. Uh, yeah. So Greg is looking befuddled. <laughs> no, 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 because I've seen the game, and it's actually pretty cool. But I think the way I, the four dummies that I generated in my head is like it's, and I think this is just your choice of colors. It's like a lawnmower game. Uh, it looks I, don't, I don't want to offend you. <laughs> it looks uh, it looks much nicer than that now. Okay, but, uh, but it was like a green background and then the puck was the lawnmower mm-hmm. and you could only go in a straight line until you hit something. Yeah. And the, the goal was to cut all the grass. <laughs> so it's been reskinned now and now okay. it looks like a factory uh, and there are little like animated slimes and you have to go around cleaning up all the slimes. Uh-huh. And uh, name Industrial wise, Revolution. I was, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, maybe that's the name for it. I was thinking uh, like Slime Slider, Slime Factory, Slime Swiper, something like that. Have you been hanging around kids for some time? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so was it hard writing a game as opposed to sort of your day job? You know, in terms of the logic and the yeah, the so, setup. so mainly I've never missed CSS so much. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Because um, you have to, it's all canvas, so you've got to, like lay everything out yourself. So I ended started up by started by making a whole bunch of abstractions to lay stuff out and and create reusable kind of UI components like lists and things. Um, so you have to do all that first, and, and now it's quite quick to set up a, a scene of the of the game, but. Yeah, okay. it's uh, it's good fun. So I recommend it. And uh, Phase is really easy to to get in on. Um, like Unity is probably a better bet if you want to distribute well, it to a places. Poster child, isn't it? Of, yeah, of but gaming. like it, I started it and it seemed like too much UI for me. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah. want the code. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, uh, is it launched yet? 
Is uh, it out there? No, it's in like internal uh, private beta. Private beta. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to sign up for the private <laughs> beta. Seems like I filled it full of microtransactions. Uh, okay, okay, <laughs> oh, cool. Shit. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like, um, are you going to launch it? Yeah, it'd be nice to finish something. As right. you said, I've got like there's a folder called Sandbox on, on in my computer, and it's got. <laughs> 200 projects in of which about like genuinely 200. I have a folder called Sandbox as well that's a that's a, that's a, a byproduct of our yeah. shared heritage I think yeah. so 190 of them are the Angular starter project yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. so the procedure the procedurally generated is quite interesting to me mm-hmm. um, so how complicated is that you know, um, right so this this algorithm that you were talking about which I forget the name of but you, did you have to write all of that yourself so that you didn't create levels that couldn't be solved? Yeah, that, or is, that was basically, I wanted to in, ensure they were solvable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did you have to write all that yourself or is there like... No, I just used a library um, where you can, it's just a, a, a like a graph storage library and you can add nodes and edges. So you add the nodes and then you tell it which nodes can be traversed. So in graphs you have um, directed and uh, non-directed ones okay. so uh, an undirected graph you can always go uh, both ways via an edge but because the way the maps are you could go uh, say from uh, left to right of the screen um, and then you'll hit the edge of the map and then you can go up or down but there's no way to get back to the middle because there's nothing to hit to stop so in that case it's directed because you can go this way but and this way but then not back uh, okay. yeah um, so it wasn't too difficult uh, I think I just started with a grid and then uh, had a start location and then you just um, work out all the possible places the puck can go from there um, and I started with a like a UI basically um, where you could tap bits in the grid and it would put blockages in and then it would rework out everywhere you could go and then I just keep putting blockages in manually and drawing it and keep working out where you can go until you uh, ended up with just a few squares that were um, had nothing on them, squares that were blockages, and then squares that could be accessed by the puck. And then I just fill in the gaps. Um, so the process of automating that was um, get get it to uh, put a blockage in a known path it can go on, work out where it can go again, rinse and repeat until the map has less than ten percent blank squares. Fill in the squares. <laughs> Next right, map okay. done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've always thought on. Um, I mean, I've never actually played it much, but on Candy Crush, like hasn't it got like hundreds of levels, hmm. and then they've all got solutions, and I'm like, who's creating them? So maybe that's all procedurally generated as well. Yeah, there was a really yeah. cool golf game which had like I don't even know. I don't even there was ever ever an end to it, but it was uh, procedurally generated. Right. And you just uh, hit this ball across it. Yeah. So have you thought about your go-to-market strategy? <laughs> no, not really. Are you going to really. go freemium? Or? I really hate adverts, so I don't really want to do that. Plus, you've got to have a big base to make any... Like, it's not about making money. I've never had a side project that made any money, so <laughs> yeah. it would be nice to do, right? But, um, you mean there isn't a big market of people wanting to hack their, their amber mug? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so like, I, I was just planning on... So there are like the concept in the game of power-ups. So um, you can... Uh, use the like best path power up and you can pick a place you want to go and it will draw you a path to that location uh there's another power up that uh will let you go back a move and there's another one that um so also in the graphs you get the concept of like cycles so there could be like one uh, circuit you can be in and then once you transition to another circuit in the graph you can't go backwards so it kind of shows you those 
uh, kind of like like traps in the game in the more difficult levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm intrigued actually in trying to monetize games where the games that that shove adverts in your face every you know, every time you die, yeah. you get an advert. Whether they make more money than you know, there are some notable games that that actually give you no ads. They may give you you, know, you have to pay for the full game, but mm. you don't get any ads. And that for me is a much uh, more appealing thing I would I, I almost certainly wouldn't pay for a game if it was sticking ads in my face every every two minutes yeah exactly but if they well, have pay, bit, so you mean paying and getting ads uh, no I'm meaning if, if I just download a game free if right. it keeps showing me ads every two minutes I'm not going to I'm not going to pay to remove the ads I'm just going to shut the game and go and find something else to do mm. but if the game isn't showing me ads but says hey give us a, a fiver and you can unlock the full game yeah. I'm much more inclined to, to do that well, it's all about this bundled Apple Arcade model now, isn't it? Do you know much yeah. about that? So this is where you can pay a, a subscription fee to, um, but well, in this instance, to Apple, but I think there are other, other ones. And then you just get access to a library of games. So I guess as an indie developer, how does that work? Like, I wonder how they work that out. No, you know, if your game is in their library, it must be minutes played or... Yeah, something like that some, I, I guess there's some sort of metric I'm not a, a real games developer I just uh, <laughs> oh you are now yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I suppose <laughs> but uh, yeah it's uh, it is interesting isn't it um, I think you also can't really switch halfway uh, you can't have a game that had no ads in and then put ads in because that's guaranteed yeah, yeah. one star yeah. catastrophe <laughs> um, so you kind of got to decide up front uh, and I while charging for a game up front I think it's okay if you're like a known name uh, I think not doing that is is probably easier, um, and then just having some sort of paywall or like you know get first X levels free or yeah right yeah uh, or something like that. Actually, a great example if if I can if I can put in a plug, uh, the game I've been playing most recently is uh, called Grand Mountain Adventure, skiing game, uh, and it's a great example of a of a of a game just executed so well and has no ads in it. So you can you can download the first the first mountain, you can play that no restrictions, but then pay a fiver and unlock unlock the rest of it. And yeah. because of that, because it's so well executed as well, yeah, it's like no hesitation. Yeah, right? you know you're like hey this this is good and I can. And what do you, what do you have to do in the game? Ski around, <laughs> collect stuff, do challenges. <laughs> nice. They call them walking games, then. I mean, I know that's skiing, but I think that genre is called walking games. Oh, I where you just it. you just go around a an environment and like that's that's the game yeah I, I yeah. guess it is yeah yeah like, another one collect. like that is Firewatch oh uh, yeah pretty good. But, sorry go on anyway I have nothing more to say I think that a game like that I played was uh, Plants vs Zombies it was exactly that okay, model right. like the yeah. first few levels were free and then yeah. and then it's like Insta bought it <laughs> yeah. and played the rest of it yeah nice I went on a bit of a rabbit hole this weekend actually for um, retro gaming because for some reason I just decided I wanted to play retro games and in the past I'd done stuff with a Raspberry Pi and I had a Switch and I tried to see if I could jailbreak it and all that kind of stuff and then I was I just I don't know why I just woke up Saturday morning and thought I want to do this again so I researched all these Chinese Greg does not have children no (laughs) (laughs) I woke up at 10 (laughs) o'clock went down and got my croissant (laughs) Um, yeah but there's just tons of uh, Chinese manufactured handheld retro um, 
video game systems, so they look like Game Boys, Game Boy Advances, that kind of thing. Mm. But they all run these weird operating systems. One of them is called Open Dingus. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was a bit like, okay, which one shall I buy? And then I was like, do I want to be running a like an unknown OS that I can't get in? But I think Open Dingus, I think the open means it's open source. I thought that would be pretty cool. you know. Anyway, I ended up buying one called... Um, Oh, I forgot the name of it. Oh, it's called an Odroid Go Advance, but it ships as a kit. And so you have to you get the like PCB and the speakers and the buttons. You have to build it yourself. But then it just runs a version of Ubuntu. And so you just put any old emulator on it. So I'm going back to my youth again. You know. I'm trying to picture what you're building here. Like, like it's, it a, looks it's like a, a handheld console. Yeah, it looks like a Game Boy. Oh, okay, well, right, it looks like right. a Game Boy Advance. And as Matt was telling me earlier, not the SP. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know either, Mark. you could run my space invaders emulator on it so what happened to that we spoke about that a few episodes ago so yeah carry on it kind of got dropped when when modeling the game boy turned out to be more difficult than uh, the modeling a z80 i was trying to move it from a z80 to a game boy um because the z80 was the basis for the for the game i find that i mean hats off for just getting where you got to because i just find it fascinating how you could even begin to just have compiled binaries and then somehow, you know, without firmware and somehow wire it all together. Yeah, it's magic, isn't it? You know, I think you described it in the previous episode and I forgot because it was so clever. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it's beyond <laughs> me, yeah. so yeah, just, my brain went, oh, discard. <laughs> there are some amazing people on YouTube that um, talk about all this like retro stuff and they, yeah. they go back and explain how all these handhelds and stuff worked and with how so much little power they managed to achieve all these things yeah 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 um i think someone's like uh, managed to reverse engineer um mario 64 like get the original code uh somehow by decompiling uh the built code and then uh making tweaks until when they recompiled it it was bite for bite exactly the same <laughs> right so they know it's That's... identical now yeah 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 uh, which is really cool but yeah. like pretty tedious so. yeah 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 <laughs> a lot of work i don't think they have children that. either <laughs> So I'm interested in talking about, you talked about uh, in your game having to uh, do the UI stuff and, you know, and then you're talking about algorithms on, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So do you see yourself as a front end developer or a back end developer? Are you, are you full, like, I know you're full stack actually, <laughs> right? Do you um, prefer one of those? Uh, I, I kind of, I guess I lean more front end uh, just because I like to see the thing happening as I'm doing it. Um uh, you know, you can you can spend a whole week doing a thing in the back end, and what we've got to show for it. Well, this JSON, when you hit this endpoint, is slightly different now. Um, you've got a scalable, robust system. That's what you've got, <laughs> yeah. Matt. But um, I mean, you know, it's uh, I, I do everything, do do both, whatever I need to to get the thing hanging together. <laughs> and do you do that in your day job as well? Uh, no, in my day job, uh, I just do front end stuff really now. Um, which is uh, it was different to, to other jobs I've, I've worked. So, what's your chosen front end stack? Uh, so, we're using Angular, um, which is great. Uh, I think if you've got um, a bigger team, because it used TypeScript, and uh, I don't want to be one of these people that's uh, uh, hello, you know, I've got a minute to talk about yeah. <laughs> uh, TypeScript. But um, yeah, I love TypeScript and. Um, the fact that it's type safe and 
and all that means that it scales great uh, much better than yeah uh, vanilla javascript oh i agree i think i think they did a fantastic job with with yeah. javascript it's a and really robust language yeah the fact that it's a superset so you can just switch the yeah. extension to ts and go from there yeah is, is also amazing yeah and nowadays you've got a transpile step anyway right you're not writing uh normal javascript you're writing es6 whatever and transpiling down um so why not just write typescript instead because you get the same thing there you can use all the new features uh yeah. knowledge coalescing or whatever and and it will uh compile it down and so uh angular actually will build you two bundles now one for newer browsers and one for older browsers which is cool which means our products even faster now in chrome but nice. <laughs> still a slow in high yeah, yeah so yeah. so as um this is interesting so as because you just mentioned there it's even faster in chrome and your face lit up so chrome's still the Interestingly, it's changing. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, yeah. and uh, it seems a lot of people are switching over to, to Firefox um, because of uh, better tools for looking at grid. Uh, Chrome hasn't even brought in subgrid yet, uh, and Firefox has it. Um, yeah, so so I, maybe I will give Firefox another shot. Uh, I can't remember, trying to remember my browser browser history. I think I. <laughs> It was Opera for a while, then then Firefox, then Chrome for like ever. But every time I get involved in web stuff, which is more and more frequent with the role I'm in now, um, this comes up. So we had the whole what browsers do we support debate a few weeks ago. Um, and so I feel like I need to start installing Chrome, whereas in my previous job I was apps only, so I didn't have to do that. But I don't want to install Google's Chrome. But then when you go to Chromium, you don't. there isn't just a Chromium build you have to go to someone else who has compiled it mm. so then i'm like well now i don't know what's in their version of chromium and so i just think oh, i can't bother and i just go back to safari or firefox you know is uh, and as someone as you know and as listeners of this podcast will know i'm not a ui developer by any stretch of the imagination uh, is is browser support a solved problem these days it's better now that I swapped. <laughs> um, so we use a tool called Cypress, uh, which you can do integration kind of tests. And before now, that was um, just Chrome, but they've just swapped it now. So it will do Edge and Firefox as well. Um, so to me, I think the short answer is no. I mean, you said it earlier about how you've you've got this like Angular uh, build tool that's con- that's outputting two different versions, and then presumably then there's a client side detection to see which one I'm going to load. Pull down, yeah. So I think we're more we're more clever about it. But as far as I can tell there's still um still differences. Yeah. In fact you were talking about um your ember thing um not your ember js but your ember mug uh using web bluetooth. Yeah. Now presumably that's only supported in chrome. Uh yeah, uh chrome and a few other things I can't quite remember. But um yeah, it works in Electron, obviously, because that's also I think I think WebKit is Chrome, right? So um, that's the engine or whatever underneath. Yeah, um, I, I doubt it. Works. I mean, I don't know about that, but I know that Web MIDI or MIDI Web. I'm not sure which way around it goes. That doesn't work in Safari, right? Yeah, because of some Apple stance on privacy or some bollocks like that. So you know, these are differences because I've got a little sampling machine and it mm. all its management software is in um, Web MIDI. So, so that's another reason I might have to install Chrome. So, but so no, I think it's okay. as confusing <laughs> as ever. You know, it must be better than the old days. I mean, surely the, the days of trying to support IE seven and even six. 
were, were pretty horrific. Yeah. Um, yeah. So even like the so the slightly newer versions have Flexbox at least, yeah. and you can get most of your work done with that. Um, I think. That, I mean, I'm going to be the contrarian. Sure. I mean, not that I'm ever like that, but because <laughs> um, the debate we had was about IE11. So I mentioned earlier how we were going through which browsers do we support formally. And one of our issues was that um, we had a, a grid of images, and one of the issues was the image didn't show up in IE11. Now, to me, I was like, that's not, that's not a browser thing. That's, like, that's just, I'm, I'm going to say the words, bad code. But we had this very long debate about whether we should put the effort in to make an image show on IE11. And I'm thinking, we're really like in the core of like browser technology here, yeah. aren't we? This isn't like some... It's not web media or anything. It's not an edge. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, uh... and, and again, you said there like, oh, well, now Flexbox is supported everywhere. And I'm thinking, well, that's great. But like, if it isn't, does that mean you just don't support those browsers? Uh, well, you're meant to like fall back progressively, aren't you? You're meant to use grid where you can, and and then fall back to a kind of a. But if tables work, I said I was going to be the contrarian. <laughs> just use the tables. Well, yeah, you could just do that instead. That's what I would do. Tables everywhere. <laughs> but I was talking, and actually, we talked we talked the other week, didn't we, about um, uh, having more drag and drop. Uh, web interface yeah. builders, right? And, and where where are those tools that that help you? Someone like me who just hates doing HTML and CSS. Where's the tools that help me just build quick digital interfaces? Do you, have you used any like or you know, any any tools that you can recommend for building quick and easy interfaces? Um, no, not particularly. I mean, oh, like you have, you, <laughs> like you know, you got the classic Bootstrap, which has uh, the components in it, uh, yeah. and then all things look the same, right? And then you got things like Tailwind, which uh, I've recently <laughs> griped about Tailwind on this podcast. <laughs> oh right, okay. What's Tailwind? I've forgotten already. Uh, Tailwind is like a CSS framework. So this is the one where I complained because what Tailwind makes you do is basically you have classes that are named for what they do. So instead of a class oh, being this is a this is a heading. The class is this has a padding of six and a, a, and a margin of three, and it's and it's aligned. Oh, wow. It's aligned left. And my gripe was this is pretty much just one or just just, just yeah. right inline styles because yeah. you're kind of achieving the same thing. Uh, so that it's so that you don't um, that the style sheet doesn't run away with you and it's not kind of doesn't get to that state where it's a, a pen only and because you can't figure out right <laughs> all, through all the cascades yeah. what is even happening if you're. I know, like you're uh, you're putting the CSS in the HTML, which is you know traditionally a no-no or whatever. But um, at least you know, uh, you know, your style sheet is this big. Everyone's going to be using the same margins and paddings because there's a set of ten of them or whatever. And um, you won't end up with. You look at some sites, and you can. There's all these uh, CSS extensions, and they'll have you know like forty different colors <laughs> um, because everything just gets a bit out. Of whack, um, so for that it's really good. Um, I kind of really like that utility style. Uh, as long like as soon as you learn the syntax, it's really easy to just bash out all of these things. Uh, and then you can, if you're using some sort of component system, you can make a button with all those styles on, and then keep reusing it. Yeah, I was always I was the opposite. I always wanted to be pure and not use any special classes. Um, do you remember CSS Zen Garden? Yes. I mean, that may have come up as well yeah. in the last episode, but that would be my approach. 
So, I mean, I don't do it a lot anymore, but when I was, that's how I wanted to do it. I wanted to avoid all, like, weirdness and I pride myself on how small my CSS was. Um, but that's just me. Is it fair to say <laughs> now that, that web development, like, front-end development is so complex that that, uh, you know, that the trend is to hire full-stack developers? Is it just too complicated for that? Well, it's funny you say that. Can I take this one? Mm-hmm. Because No, because we're not interviewing you. We're interviewing Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Please, go ahead, Greg. No. <laughs> well, no, I was going to embellish your question, okay. but still leave it as a question. Okay. How about that? Okay, that's good, that's good. Because I'm in a situation where I'm asking some of my developers to do some AWS training, and some of them have expressed concern that this isn't relevant to their job. How would you feel, Matt? <laughs> um, as a front-end developer, if you were asked to train in what may be traditionally considered as back-end topics. That, sound like a, that sounded like a blind date question. <laughs> I, um, personally, I love learning new stuff. I'd just jump at the opportunity to, you know, if you're paying for training for something, then why should you not do it, right? Um, yeah, like that is what development is. It's learning new stuff, especially as a front-end developer. You know, uh, so I've been doing this too long, like six years or something. When I started, it was all, um, uh, you know, Grunt and uh, Knockout JS. Yeah. If you're writing something in that now, people are like, what are you doing, right? Yeah. It, um, so it's not that long. Um, so, yeah, constantly learning, picking up new things. And uh, even if you don't plan to use the stuff, like knowing about the stuff is really, really useful. Um, yeah, like I always think as a developer, um, it's more... Uh, it's better to like have pointers to information than remember all the information, right? Like as long as you know what you need, then you can Google it. Um, so yeah, I, I try and learn as much about everything as I can. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how I would want developers to be. I think, but I am a little bit sensitive to the idea that someone may have chosen a, to specialize in a in a topic, and therefore, you know, asking them to learn about an equally complicated but adjacent topic. Hmm. I can see how it might be a bit like, well, well yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to use this, or at least I'm, I'm going to choose never to use this. Um, and so I think there is a bit of a, a balance. But on the other hand, I think, well, if you work in a company that delivers web applications, knowing how they're hosted and delivered, yeah. probably core. There was a talk about like um, back, at, uh, like back of the front end and front end of the front end uh, so, because um, so much logic's like moved from the back end, or now is it equally as complicated in the front end because of uh, you know like offline. Um, uh, uh, basically, so you can have a whole web app that runs in the browser without even going to the back end, um, and you still have some people that very much uh, like designing and they like CSS and they like HTML and they don't really care about all this complicated. Uh, kind of almost back-end logic JavaScript. Um, but I think a lot of people in the front end now, like, it's this, it's almost the same skill set, like, um, being able to, you know, deal with storing things, uh, you know, uh, asynchronous stuff, and um, even now with, like, the move to uh, micro front ends, there's a lot of parallels between uh, the front and the back. That word micro is spreading, isn't it? Yeah. Micro it's, front it's, ends. Yeah. Front of the back ends. Back, back ends, of the, back yeah. ends for front ends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, but this is, I'm, I'm just about to say, like, there's, 
we seem to, we seem hell bent on fragmentation. Mm. Yeah, like we're yeah. we're now so scared of building a monolith that that everything's exploded into multiple different parts. Front ends, front ends for front ends, back ends for front ends, <laughs> front ends for back ends. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. All these separate repos. And I'm not quite sure where some of that where some of that ends because I'm not sure it's all productive necessarily. Maybe it's just human. It's natural human behavior because. 10, 20 years ago, there were just developers. And as an industry, it was quite young. And so if, if, you're want, if you want an identity, you could just say you're a developer and like, you know, that was enough to hold on to. These days, it's more and more prolific. That's probably a bit too grand. But so I, I imagine people want within that to have an identity. Just being a developer is like, that's too generic now. You know, I'm an individual. So then maybe people are like shifting themselves around so that now we've got all these different, you know, specialisms. But I mean, is, if, is, are these just workarounds for organisational issues, though? There's a big quote about that, isn't there? That something about. Um, oh, you think you thinking of Conway's law? Is it? Yeah, the, yeah, I think it system, is. System yeah. system is kind of mirrors the organisational structure. Yeah, but is that is that it? Like, if 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 I can just detach myself from you. By I build I build this little micro front end and you build your micro front end, then we don't have to actually talk to each other and coordinate. <laughs> we can just kind of keep yeah. keep. It, it just feels like we're hacking our way around uh, human interaction. Human interaction. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the maybe that's the end goal. I don't know. I don't know. Say you were asked though, Matt, on this theme to um, learn iOS development, even though it's not part of your job. Like say you, I don't know if you do, but say your company delivers iOS apps, but you're an Android user, you do web. How would you respond to that? Because maybe that's how it is to other people when they're asked to look at um, things. I mean, I'd still be up for it, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I see your I see your point. Um, like yeah, if you're if you specialised in in one area and you and you don't want to move out of it, just you got to be sure that that area is sticking about, right? Yeah. I think that's a big fear for people as well, that I'm wasting my time on this thing. Maybe. I mean, the web was a waste of time, wasn't it? As soon as apps came along. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dead. Dead in the water. Actually, you mentioned something earlier. You said your... I'm not sure if you said your game or your work was a... um, What's it called? A PWA? Yeah. Do you just describe them a bit for our Uh, lovely listeners? A progressive web app. Um, Yeah, so you can... uh, there's all sorts of APIs now in the browser and things where you can uh, build a website that will uh, kind of act and, and run like a like a native app, and you have access to like you know the phone's battery or um, accelerometer, all sorts of things that apps also uh, have access to, and um, most importantly, uh, you get kind of prompted to be installed, and you appear in the same list as as the other apps. Uh, and I know on Android you can actually like. Uh, there's a way to wrap a progressive web app and, and put it on the store as an APK rather than just have kind of the install prompt. Um, yeah, it seems like a like a good. Well, they're getting more and more powerful all the time, basically. And uh, I think if you don't need kind of the power of a native app, if you're just building something uh, that's you know a set of menus or, or something, you know uh, something quite simple, then why not do a PWA? Then you've got a website. Um, if you uh, 
uh, writing something like Ionic, you can spit out a uh, an Electron app to run on your Mac, and that will also run on Linux and Windows. And then you can do an iOS app and an Android app and have a website that will install as a PWA, uh, and, and it's just one code base. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, but is it what what sort of uh, trade-offs do you have to make? Um, yeah, you can't get to everything that a native app can, and obviously you're running JavaScript, so it's not as fast. Um, but phones are so quick nowadays, you can get away with a lot yeah. uh, before that's a problem. It's funny how there's still a shadow of that like across the industry about, oh, now we must move everything onto the server, and we have these incredibly powerful devices, and then we're sort of too scared to actually use them. Yeah. You know, and we still sort of move everything back, um, back onto the server, so... I just think PWAs are, um, I think they're a really cool technical solution, but I do sometimes wonder whether it's just, um, it's just a bit, I, I don't know, I just feel like apps, from a, it's a shame Laura's not here, but from a user experience perspective, a lot of people I talk to would rather use an app. Um, although I suppose the point is with a PWA, you can install it as an app. So maybe what I'm really thinking is how do you get people to, to use PWAs instead of apps? Maybe that's the. Um, you know what? I'm just just thinking about this because <laughs> you've that's answered that bit you. as well, <laughs> yeah. which is you can put them into the app store. Well, not iOS, uh, not iOS currently, but Android you can. Um, but yeah, this is the discoverability or whatever, isn't it? Um, yeah. So you get that thing where you go onto someone's website and then it gets you to install the the real APK. Um, I guess you could still do that and it be the. But when you go onto their site, you, uh, you do get a prompt to say install, and it kind of, uh, on Android at least, it'll install it with all the other apps, and it'll have an icon and um, work in the background and, and whatever. So what would be your recommendation if you had, say you were in an app-only team, and you had an Android and an iOS app, um, and you wanted to move to the web, or let's say you only had one, what would be your recommendation to to you know, to get to the three platforms, would you? Are you promoting Ionic? Is that what you're saying? I, I, I quite like Ionic, but you don't need to use Ionic to make a, a progressive web app. You can just no, make but, a normal okay. page. Uh, but you would you would do it as a progressive web app? That would that would be your. It really depends on your resources, right? And and how complicated the thing is you're trying to make. If you've, if you've got the money, make the you know a, a specific app for Android and a specific app for iOS, and it will be better at the moment. Um, but if you uh, need to make one for all three, and you don't have the um, the developers all the time. Then it, you know it's something to definitely look at, provided you're not trying to do anything too fancy and you don't need anything you can't get in a, in a PWA. It's the state of web. See, now I've moved into interview mode. <laughs> <laughs> if you just like to draw on the whiteboard, it's <laughs> <Fizz> buzzier. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean like career interview. I mean like. Jeremy Paxman stuff. Oh, I see. Uh, Sorry. I it <laughs> but is the state of web app development today still just a series of magic scripts? Like, there's the joke that about the npn install, gulp install, <laughs> grunt, and all of webpack and all of that. Has that all settled down, or is it still? Yeah. Because you said there, like, oh yeah, if you want to be a PWA, you just add another command onto the end of your build step. Um, I um, mean, yeah. I mean, everything. It, it, you need a surprising amount of, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. I think everyone's basically settled on um, Webpack. Uh, some people use Parcel, I guess, uh, which is kind of a, a way less config version. But even with Webpack, most things uh, have a CLI. So uh, like, there's a CLI for uh, React or, or 
Angular, and that'll have a Webpack config under the hood <laughs> that okay. it, it uses, and you can kind of eject from that and alter it if you like, but at your peril, because now you're in charge. Um, yeah, but there's still all that step. Uh, I guess partially because no one actually wants to write the lower level JavaScript to, to run in the, the back of the front end. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, everyone wants to write a new JavaScript or TypeScript. And um, I've forgotten where the question was. <laughs> but, well, I was, uh, just, I was just thinking, you know, what's it like these days? Because last time I looked, it, it was all a bit magic and I didn't like it because I, I mean, I think that's just my natural learning style, but I wanted to know what was happening. And actually, if you were to follow any of the sort of even the official tutorials on React or Angular, yeah, there was this huge sort of leaps, you know, where you just oh install this, 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 and this, yeah, no, and then run this single command, and suddenly you've got a fully functioning website. I'm like, yeah, well, it, how? it is still like that, but okay. now, uh, like, there isn't any config for that. If you use the CLI kind of, you know, create new for for any of these projects, it'll do all that in the background. It's not like when you're using uh, Gulp or Grunt where you had to like string everything together yourself. Okay. Right. So learn Webpack. <laughs> we don't even need to learn down. Webpack. Um, I can't even remember the last time I'd actually touched a Webpack config because it's just kind of handled now. Okay. It's still so, a it's still a high bar for new developers, though, isn't it? Yeah, I to, guess to get into, and I think that's. Uh, well, yeah, and I'm 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 not surprised that people want to be front or back or front of the back or whatever, because you're right. You've got mm-hmm. to suddenly, you know, there's so much more to learn. You know. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I, actually, I went on some Amazon training this week, um, quite intensive. I was up in um, Amazon HQ just learning about all of their services. And even that is, you know, like conceptually, it's really easy to understand. I'm sure all, everyone can sort of, hopefully everyone can understand what a server is and what serverless is and all that. But then when you get into the actual doing of it, there's an awful lot of magic in there as well. We were doing a bit with cloud formation, mm-hmm. um, which is this... Is it declarative or imperative? I can't remember, but you basically... Declarative, yeah. Yeah, so you write your... um, You just write a big YAML text file of what you want, and then you shoot it up into um, AWS, and it just creates all these things for you. And I'm like, right, okay, there's another bit of magic, because I might accidentally copy something over, and before I know it, I've spent $200 in another EC2 server that I didn't know about, you know. Yeah. And um, and so again, I thought, wow, there's just such an incredible amount of things that people need to know. Yeah, and there's, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting topic. Having sat with a, a dev team this week and talked about, um, you know, all the things we'd like them to do, you know, and it is could be a bit, you know, to be kind of full stack, but also I want you to understand how your app is deployed. And we're talking about a kind of DevOps workflow. And okay, well, you know, now instead of you get just giving your app to to ops you know, to deploy, you should actually take control of that. You should know how it's built. You should have some um, uh, some input into the into the cloud formation. Or actually, I can invite Terraform. It's much better. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, we're asking people to take on an awful lot of information. And we've talked before on this podcast about, as well as that, we're expecting you to be the QA and the architect and the yeah. the BA and the, and there are all these things. And is it any surprise that people are just going to go? I can't do all of this yeah. stuff. It's really cool talking about it in these episodes like with Matt and other people because you do start realizing. I think I think you can lose sight of it when you're not doing it. You know, and you can, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you're doing like a an agile user first dev process where you're not describing technologies, you're describing, you know, either problems or user solutions, you know, I want blah blah blah. 
and then you can you can lose sight of everything that has to happen in order mm-hmm. to achieve that. Yeah, you know, and go. Oh well, as long as you get there, that's fine. Um, so it's quite good, sort of hearing all this stuff. I'm getting, um, you know, I'm more uh, softer now. I think with the team. On the other hand, like <laughs> on the other hand, Mark's getting his whip out. <laughs> no, it just uh, it made me think a lot, and I've talked to a lot of people this week about how uh, this. If you're building software iteratively, this stuff actually becomes easier because you're not faced with, okay, I don't know CloudFormation. Now I've got to go and write a CloudFormation script for my app, you know, which is, you know, needs 10 different servers and a database and a Redis cache and a, you know, something else of it, an active MQ and a solar over there. When you, when you build your software iteratively, you can learn these things iteratively as well. I only have to figure out how to, you know, at the start, maybe it's, create an ec2 instance in CloudFormation or terraform whatever it may be um you know and you you increment from there or iterate from there and that helps you in your learning it's not an overwhelming task to go and go and fit out all of this stuff all in one go that's is that only when starting from scratch i mean if you've got an application already particularly if you're a monolithic application I wonder if it is harder because then you, you oh, think, definitely. well, I've got to do definitely. all of this you're stuff already... eventually. And then maybe yeah. it's just, well, which one do I start with? Yeah. But then Agile, actually, you're right. Agile would just say, we'll just start with something. Yeah. You know, and just do it really, or not, don't do it quickly, but do it as quickly as you can to decide whether to carry on doing it or not. Yeah, so, yeah you're right. Can I talk about my fantastic analogy for iterative software development? Yes. That I, that I invented this week. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen, there's a film called Man on Wire which is about a guy who, true story, who uh, walked a tightrope between the, the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Is that a movie? Yes. 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 Uh, yeah, I've seen it in 3D. It's really cool. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it in 3D. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, then, and in there, they tell the story about how he got the rope over because obviously throwing a, a tightrope, which is not a small thing, it's like a three-inch thick piece of steel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting it between, between the towers involved him with a bow and arrow firing a fishing line from one tower to the other and then tying a piece of string to the fishing line and pulling the fishing line across you know and then you've got a bit of string across and and then he ties that to a to a bit of rope and keeps pulling that and i thought this is actually a great analogy and you can you can take it a long way believe me i've i've (laughs) I've, I've really pushed this analogy about devops being the bow and arrow that helps fire the fishing line across but but it represents you know that that uh i want to build something that that is not ready to release yet i can't walk on the fishing line but at least i've got a fishing line from from one side to the other and it's and it's something maybe you know an ant could walk on the on the fishing line between the towers <laughs> you're losing me <laughs> <laughs> but the but, but the point is that you're not trying to throw uh you know a long three inch thick steel wire 50 meters from one tower to the, which is what happens in a lot of cases i've built my app and now i get to the end and now i have to go and ask an ops team to to go and deploy it and they're the ones that have to try and throw this rope which is all these dependencies and all these other complications that are, it's better with a diagram. No, I like it's, be- it. it's better with a stickman diagram. <laughs> no, I think it's. I think it holds up. I've, yeah, I've got copyright on that. Right, so. <laughs> Sounds like a talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Here we go. Here we yeah. go. Tech Dorset. Tech Dorset. Yeah. Tech Dorset. Although it's not code related, so we've decided yeah, that they have to be super technical. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. No. No. <laughs> 
I could write some code non, to non-tech Dawson. <laughs> I could write some code to demonstrate the principle, if you like. When is the next tech door set? Very good question. It's the yeah. second Monday of next month. Okay. Yeah. Se- second Monday of next month, which will be the well at the time of recording that. So the next month will be March. Yep. Twenty twenty. Okay, for anyone listening to this, the in twenty thirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then aren't you having a lightning talk day? Is that true? Yes, uh, it's the next yes. one. Uh, so uh, hopefully, it'll be a lot of uh, short talks about um, pretty much anything. Uh, so things people are doing could just be a, a library that they uh, they like, or even just uh, like demoing a particularly interesting site or something they found. Um, yeah. If people are interested in coming to Tech, tech Dorset. What should they do? Uh, it's probably easiest to uh, just give it a search on Eventbrite and you should find us on there and uh, you can get a ticket. They're free and you get free pizza and, and free drinks. Yep. And uh, what do you need? Sign up to the mailing list and, and we send out a, an email every month to remind people. All right, brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Matt, been very um, interesting. And uh, well, I guess we'll see you at Tech Dawson. See you then. Thank, thank you. I was late. I was late for a meeting the other day, and it was because I couldn't make a coffee because my phone I was updating in my mug. <laughs> Here we go. Hello, Greg. Hiya. No, Laura. <laughs> Hiya. <laughs> right, we got the outtakes. Yeah. <laughs>